We have been in the book of 1 Timothy for the last five months, and it's been, it's been a real blessing. Um, Wednesday night I was talking about, about the uh, journey uh, through 1 Timothy, and um, uh, most every Sunday I mentioned Uh, the foundational passage in chapter 3 where Paul says that he's writing these things so that we will know how we ought to live and conduct ourselves in God's household. That's who we are. We are the family of God. Uh, This is God's household here on earth. And um, we've been coached up for the last five months on how to live, how to be, how to conduct ourselves as a church, uh, as believers, as men, as women, as leaders, uh, how to conduct ourselves with others that are not yet part of the family of God. And how do you get to be in the family of God? It is through a relationship, a decision to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so now we begin this journey through the longest book that we will have taught. My friend John MacArthur studied the book of Matthew from the year 1978 to 1985. (laughs) I don't expect we will be there that long. (laughs) However, it's 28 chapters. And we went through the book of Mark in 26 months straight. We took a, a detour to Galatians as we Uh, traveled through the book of John. The book of Matthew, we begin today with the genealogy of Matthew. And I want to draw your attention to the truth of this book. Just in verse one, it says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. This book is written to the Jewish nation who perhaps would be the most skeptical, the most difficult group of people to convince of Jesus actually being the Messiah, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And you live around, I would venture to say, I said on Wednesday night, you have a a very high probability that you know and are around more people that don't know the Lord than do. And for the next period of time, every Sunday, we will be telling the story of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. We now know how to live and how to conduct ourselves. We're a safe place to work out your salvation. We have been instructed for the past five months on how to live and how to conduct ourselves amongst each other and those that the Lord will bring us. And as we teach truth, as we teach about Jesus, and we are a safe place where we conduct ourselves in the way that God has instructed us, then I believe, and it is my prayer, that week after week after week, God will bring us people that he is drawing to himself. 
I believe that the year 2023 will be one of the most exciting years that we will have ever seen of people who will come to know Jesus and put their faith and trust in him for the very first time for the rest of their lives and their eternity will be changed. <clears throat> Genealogies are very important throughout the Bible. In the four gospels, um, each one has a different audience and each one has uh, a different um, explanation perhaps of who Jesus is, presentation. Mark, for example, presents Jesus as a servant and servants don't have a background. Servants or slaves uh, are their own. They have been bought and paid for. And so Mark doesn't even have a genealogy of Jesus. Luke is written to Gentiles and is pre presents Jesus as the son of man. And so Luke's genealogy, which is found in chapter 3, uh, goes all the way back to Adam, the very first man. John presents Jesus as the son of God. And so his genealogy is very, very short. It's a divine genealogy. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. That's John's genealogy. <clears throat> Matthew, as I said, is written to the Jewish nation. Their father was Father Abraham. And so Matthew presents Jesus as the Messiah, the king of the Jews. And so we begin this book with the genealogy. Beginning with verse 1, let's look at it. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. <clears throat> Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Abinadab, Abinadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife, Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, Abijah, the father of Asa, Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, the father of Jor Jehoram, Jehoram, the father of Uzziah, Uzziah, the father of Jotham, Jotham, the father of Ahaz, Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Amon, Amon, the father of Josiah, Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah, the father of Shiltiel, Shiltiel, the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud, Abihud, the father of Eliakim, Eliakim, the father of Azor, Azor, the father of Zadak, Zadak, the father of Achim. Achim, the father of Elihud, Elihud, the father of Eliezer, Eliezer, the father of Mathen, Mathen, the father of Jacob. <sighs> Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary was the mother of Jesus, who was called the Messiah. Thus, there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, David to the exile, 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Now, you don't have to read that on January 1st. 
um, you will see throughout this book a lot of heritage, a lot of prophetic truth coming together. This is super important to the Jewish nation because they would have known the Old Testament very, very well. And Matthew is writing these things and trying to pull them in to state his case for Jesus being the Messiah. There's the content there of the 14 generations times three. You know, so often you come to parts of the Bible like this and it is really easy to just blow through it. Uh, it's easy just to skip it all together. Uh, you know, I don't know if you ever see the movie Sling Blade. <laughs> not, not recently, but th this is something that's drawn from this guy in Sling Blade. And he's like, ah, this begat, this begat, this. And I don't even know what the Bible means. I'm going to help you today. Because every word in the Bible was divinely inserted and every word in the Bible is important. So I want to take some time and let's just make this practical. Let's make it applicable because in this passage, there are three things that we can see, truths, let's call them, about who God is. And the first is this, God cares about people. God cares about people. You know, anytime you go poking around the family tree, you might find some things you wish you had not have found. Uh, I was reminded of a story. There's a couple of brothers who were preparing for their parents' 50th anniversary and they were going to narrate this picture slideshow of through the years, family through the years. One of the problems was one of the brothers, one of their uncles, had been convicted of murder and executed. And so when they got to that part in those pictures, they're like, okay, here's what we're going to say. Uncle George occupied a chair of applied electronics <laughs> at an important institution. And that he was attached to his position with the strongest of ties, and his death came as a real shock. <laughs> as we walk through the genealogy of Christ, we're going to find some things here that if you and I were telling it, we would, we would want to rewrite it. And uh, yet, Matthew, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, actually seems to go out of his way to include some things. For example, in, in those days, in, in these days really uh, as well, in many, um, many traditions, this one included, they did not include women. But in this passage, in this genealogy, there are actually four women included the first one is, is, some, is a woman by the name of Tamar. In verse 3, it says, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Tamar's story is, is a crazy story. It's dropped in Genesis 38 with really no tie to 37 or 39. It's just this plank that's thrown down on the ground. It's an incredible story. This woman, Tamar, is married to Judah's oldest son. His name is Ur. And, and the Bible says in verse 7 that Ur was so wicked that the Lord put him to death. And in this day, there was a tradition that if, if a, a husband dies before bearing a son, um, his widow is to marry, to be given to the next oldest son and the first 
uh, son born then would belong to the decedent. It's called the Leverite vow. And um, so that's what happens. Uh, it, it, um, Tamar is given to the second son. His name is Onan. And uh, he chose to not impregnate her. If you want to know how that is, you just read it for yourself. I won't get into the details on that. But the Lord saw that as wicked as well. And so he puts him to death. And so the next son is a son named Shelah. And Judah's looking at the situation and he's saying, well, this one didn't work out and that one didn't work out. What's the common denominator here? It's this woman. And so he decides maybe he's not going to give his third son to this woman. But he says, now come live with us as a widow. And when Shelah grows up, then, then uh, you'll, you'll have him. And uh, he doesn't do it. And so after a, a number of years, she realizes that uh, Judah is not going to follow up with his requirement. And so she takes matters into her own hands. And one day when the, um, the livestock is going to be sheared, she concocts this plan. She's going to dress up as a shrine prostitute and sit at the, the city gate because she knows what kind of a man Judah is. And sure enough, he solicits her and um, come to find out he does not have the required payment, which is a goat. So if you're wondering what the cost of the day would be, that's what it is. And so he says, I'll I promise I'll give you a goat. I'll send a goat after the fact. And she says, well, what will you give me as collateral? And he says, I'll give you my seal cord and staff. Well, as you can imagine, uh, uh, she gets pregnant by Judah. And as she goes home, it's discovered that she's now pregnant. Judah doesn't realize what has ha that he is the one in the middle of the situation. And uh, so he... Uh, like any self-righteous person does, he gets so angry and he, he uh, subscribes uh, her to death. And before she's taken, she says, just so you know, the man who impregnated me owns these things. And she pulls out the seal cord and the staff. And now Judah is busted. And he, he realizes it's him. He has a choice, just like all of us do when we are discovered we can either humble ourselves or we can pridefully fight it. He humbles himself. This was a spiritual marker moment in Judah's life. He's never the same after this. He says, she's more righteous than me since I would not give her my son. And so really out of the gates, right out of the gates in verse 3, we have this story. We're reminded of a very messy, dishonest incestuous relationship that's part of the genealogy of Jesus. Why would we be reminded of that in Christmas? Well, because there's a God who identifies with messy, dishonest, wrong, hurtful injustices in this life. And he's not afraid to be identified with people like that. In fact, he invites them into his family. There's another woman here, just a few verses down in verse 5, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Well, Rahab is another interesting individual here. In fact, most every time she's referenced in the Bible, she's followed with two words, Rahab 
the prostitute. If you're familiar with this story, it comes in the book of Joshua. Rahab is a prostitute in a foreign pagan land in the promised land. And at some point she hears that these people are coming to their land. And she's heard about the stories of the miraculous delivery from slavery in Egypt. And she has made a decision, even though she has no heritage, she was not raised to believe or even know about the one true God, but God was working in her heart and her life, and she made a decision to believe in him. And in that book, in that, in that chapter, she, she, she's the one who hides the Israelite spies in her home. She's the one that lets them down outside her window to, to bring about salvation. And she says, will you remember me when you come back? Because she knew God was going to be true to his word. At some point she's heard about him and she has chosen to believe. And to this day, God is looking for people who are willing to believe him because God cares about you. He cares about people, and if you look to him, he will forgive you, and he will take care of you. And not only is he not afraid to identify himself with you, he will include you in his family. And then right after Rahab, you have this third woman. Her name is Ruth. Ruth is a Moabite. And just some quick history on that family can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 19, when Abraham follows God to a land that he does not know, he takes with him his nephew. His nephew's name is Lot. And Lot and Abraham, um, their possessions grow. God has blessed them so much so that they can no longer occupy the same plot of land. And so Abraham takes Lot up to a mountainside and he says, look out. We can't live together anymore. Our possessions are too great. I tell you what, you choose. If you go this way, I'll go that way. If you go that way, I'll go this way. And so Lot takes a look out to all the land. And it says Lot chose for himself the land that was the best. And the Bible says that Lot pitched his tents toward Sodom. And in that moment, you don't really know the end of the story. But as that story begins to unfold, you see Lot has this pattern, this trend of choosing for himself and choosing for himself and choosing for himself. And while he had no intentions of actually getting to Sodom, not too long, you see him again. And he's not only in Sodom, he's sitting at the city gate which is an indication that he's now become a city leader in the town, the city of Sodom. God has so much frustration with those people that he tells Abraham he's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham negotiates him down to five. And um, God sends an angel to rescue Lot and his wife and his two daughters doesn't work out very well for them, sadly. You may remember the story. Lot's wife turns around and looks back. She turns to a pillar of salt. 
The next time, the last time we see Lot, he and his daughters are in a cave. His daughters are realizing the predicament that they're in. And they say, one of them says, well, here's my plan to to extend our family. I'm going to get our father drunk and I'm going to sleep with him. And then the next day you can do the same. And that's what happened. One of those children born was a man by the name of Moab. Moab would become a thorn in the side of God's people for centuries. And that's what we know about Ruth. That's her background. She's a Moabite. It's a cursed people. And, and later in, that, in, in, in the Bible, in the book of Ruth, it tells a story, and this is the, the Israelite people are not in a good place. There's famine in the land, and this man goes to another place, to another land to take care of his family. His two boys marry outside of the tradition. One of those young men marries this woman, Ruth the Moabite. Tragically, the father-in-law dies, the husband dies, the brother-in-law dies, and what's left is Ruth and Naomi and the sister-in-law. Naomi, the mother-in-law, releases them from their obligation But Ruth says, no, I'm going to stay. Your God is now my God. She has made a decision to believe in the one true God and adopt the ways of Israel. And I'm going to serve him. And in spite of a terrible situation, in spite of being born into a cursed people, born out of an incestuous relationship, God not only provides for her, he adopts her into his family. And her grandson is Jesse, and her great-grandson is none other than King David. You see, God cares about people. He cares about me, and he cares about you. And it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what your history is, what your family is, And I'm going to say that good or bad. It doesn't matter if your parents had nothing to do and never did with God. And you know what? It doesn't matter if they did because you still have to make a choice for yourself. And when you do that, God adopts you into his family. There's a fourth woman that's listed here. There's a common thread throughout each of these four women. David, the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. She's not called by name, but we all know her by the name of Bathsheba. Uriah was one of David's mighty men. And one night when all of the men are out at battle, David has chosen to stay back. He's walking on the roof of his palace, and he sees a woman bathing on another rooftop. Even though he's told that it's Uriah's wife, he still asks for her, ultimately has an affair with her. She gets pregnant. In an attempt to cover his tracks, he sends for Uriah to come home. And he gets there, and Uriah, not wanting to 
uh, betray or, or wanting to remain loyal to his fellow soldiers, he refuses to sleep with his wife. And so since that plan didn't work, he decides to send him back into battle with the instructions to put him on the front lines, expecting that if that's the case, then he will be killed. That's exactly what happens. So then David marries Bathsheba, and then the baby, or shortly after birth, uh, dies. It's a story of murder. It starts with adultery and lust. And you look at this and you wonder, why would Matthew bring this up? Why would he include, of all the women he could have included, why didn't he include these four women? It's because he wants us to know that God cares about all people. And no matter what your past is, no matter how much you have been hurt or wronged or how much hurt or wrong you have caused, God still cares about you. And the story of Christmas is that he came to this earth not to condemn us, but to bring us the salvation that every single one of us need because he cares about you. God cares about you. He cares about me. And not only will he forgive you if you seek him, he will add you to his family. It's an amazing story. There's a second truth here. God keeps his promises. You continue down the list and you get to this verse 11. It says, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. Now, Jeconiah was the last king from this line. And the story is told in 2 Chronicles chapter 36. His reign only lasted for three months and 10 days. He was captured by King Nebuchadnezzar, who then put his uncle in as king. Uh, that man turned out to be the, the last king before the exile. Jeconiah was just another king in a long list of wicked kings. And God finally decides he's had enough. In Jeremiah chapter 22 and verse 30, the Lord says, record this man as if childless, a man who will not prosper in his lifetime, for none of his offspring will prosper and none will sit on the throne of David or rule anymore in Judah. So this is a curse that God hands down to this line. And it's right here in this genealogy. And so after generations of kings who reject God time after time after time, God says enough, that's the end. But then we have Joseph, centuries later. He's a carpenter. However, he happens to be the only man in the lineage that has the legal rights to the throne. Now, why is that and why is it important? Well, remember, Matthew's gospel is written to the Jewish nation presenting Jesus as the Messiah. And so Jesus is conceived not from Joseph's seed, but by the Holy Spirit. But still the genealogical record 
is kept, it's kept by male, which is, is another reason why the four women stand out so much in this passage. But I want you to look at Luke chapter 3 here, because this is Luke's genealogy. It, it's in reverse order. Verse 23, now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, so it was thought, of Joseph, the son of Haley, son of Mephat. So you have a, a different genealogy of Jesus here in the book of Luke. Notice the name Haley here in Luke, but in Matthew, Joseph's father's name is Jacob. Here's why. Luke is giving the genealogy of Mary. And Haley was not the father of Joseph. He was the father of Mary. And the two lines connect. Look at verse 31. The son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse. You see, prior to David, he had a son named Nathan and he had a son named Solomon. So Mary has the royal blood, but Joseph has the legal rights through his lineage, and they all meet at David. You see, God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises, the promise that the son of David, the seed of David, will produce the Messiah but at the same time, he keeps his promise that no one from this line will be king. And they meet at one. Joseph is the only one who has the legal right to the throne to adopt Jesus as son to fulfill the prophecy of the Messiah. Isn't that cool? Centuries after the fact, God can make all things work together for the good. And I don't know what you might be going through right now. I don't know what promise the Lord might have made to you at whatever time. But I do know this. God keeps his word. There's a third truth here. The worship team can come. God is not afraid of our failures. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were all liars we know a little bit about Judah. He was no real prize. David was a man after God's own heart. However, he was an adulterer and a murderer. Solomon is known as the wisest man to ever live, but he married many, many wives, and those wives turned his heart away from God to other gods. His son Rehoboam, wasn't wise at all, and under his watch, the kingdom is actually split. And you have king after king, and one served God, and one didn't, and the next one did, and the next one didn't. And after a while, you begin to wonder, what is up with this story? I mean, is this, is this the line that produces the Messiah? All of them have problems. And I'll tell you why because there's no one righteous, not even one. Who in this room could raise your hand and say you are without sin? 
not one of us, because there isn't anyone. That's a condition of humanity. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And you go down this list and you get to this man, Hezekiah, who is actually a very strong king. God showed great favor in his life, but even he had problems. But his son, Manasseh, was a wicked king. You can read about his story in 2 Chronicles and 2 Kings. Manasseh took the, the throne at age 12, and he served or reigned for 55 years. He was a wicked king. The record of scripture is one of violence and injustice. He committed detestable sins. He practiced divination, sought omens, consulted mediums and spiritists. He even sacrificed his own children in fire. Tradition holds that it was Manasseh who had the prophet Isaiah killed by having him sawn in half. And as I understand, it was from the bottom up, not sideways. And later in life, he's captured by Assyria. And they take Manasseh a prisoner. They put a hook in his nose. They bound him with bronze shackles and take him to Babylon. And it's at this time that Manasseh remembers the God of his fathers, and he calls out to God. It's recorded in 2 Chronicles chapter 33. In his distress... He sought the favor of the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his ancestors. You know what God does? He forgives him. And you might say, well, why, why would God do that? Because if God didn't know how to deal with our failures, then he could not get anything done with humanity. And if anyone would understand this, it would be Matthew. And I think it's just really awesome that he has the opportunity to write this book to his people because Matthew Levi was a tax collector. Matthew would have rejected, he would have been a traitor to his own nation and sold his life for money to the Romans as a tax collector against his people. And it was actually taught that tax collectors were beyond redemption. They could not be forgiven. And so he knew what it was like to be an outcast. He could identify with Tamar, he could identify with Ruth, he could identify with Rahab, he could identify with Manasseh. Because that's what he was, an outcast. He had made mistakes, but he also knew what it was like to be forgiven. And he knew what it meant to be invited into the family of God. It's one thing to help somebody in need, though. It's totally different when you include them in your family. You read through this genealogy and you see how God was able to work through the years and ultimately bring about his plan 
And then to understand that Joseph was the adopted father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It gives us a wonderful illustration of what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1 when he says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. In Romans, he says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that we might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he called. To those he called, he justified. To those he justified, he glorified. It's a picture of salvation. I think it's so important that we take the time as we walk in this book study to recognize that every single person you come in contact with, God cares about. He is true to his word. And he is not afraid of anyone's failures. And those people that God divinely brings about your path. As Paul writes in 1 Timothy, no one is beyond salvation. He's the worst. So if God can reach him, there isn't anybody in your life that's out of reach for his salvation. Praise God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for your word, for your story, for your family. I thank you that you include me in your family. And that there are many brothers and sisters that you've brought into my life. I thank you for the last book study that you have given to us and for this journey that you are taking us on as we walk into this new book. Thank you for this season that we have to celebrate and recognize your arrival. And you open by giving us stories that we can identify with. I pray your blessing and your favor on this family. Help us, Lord, to have your eyes, your ears, to be aware of what's going on around us, to have the boldness, the trust, to invite people to join us on this walk with you. Heads bowed and eyes closed and just take a moment with the Lord. <clears throat> Perhaps you did not come in here thinking that you would hear stories of people that had a very, very difficult life.
and you find yourself looking at your life. God cares, he keeps his promises, and he's not afraid of your failure. If you're somebody that's struggled, and you don't have the assurance of salvation, I'd like to pray for you today. If you've never given your heart to the Lord, you're just one prayer away from forgiveness, redemption. Maybe you have and, and you've experienced some of life's trials and maybe you've caused them, maybe others have caused it to you. It's caused you to question God. Maybe it's caused anger, frustration. God's here. He cares about you. He keeps his promises. He's not afraid of your failures. He wants to include you in his family. And if that's you, you just, you need that assurance. You need God's forgiveness. You need his redemption. I'd like to pray for you today. Is anybody here? I'd like to pray for you. And just sign of an upraised hand. Is there anybody here? I'll pray for you. Thank you. Bible is true. It says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And so as we stand together, uh, God, may that be true. I thank you that we can have assurance, that we can have forgiveness. You know our sin. You know where we fall short. Each and every one of us, you created us. It is not your plan that we would stay where we are, but it is your plan that you would change us from the inside out. And so, God, that comes through repentance, that comes through uh, walking out the forgiveness that you have extended to us. And so, God, I receive that in Jesus' name. Rejoice in your name. Amen.